Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, a Disciple's Journey. Uh, this episode we will be discussing chapters 43 and 44 of Alma. So, in these chapters we're going to get the first major conflict of the war chapters, as it were. Um, so, basically here's what's going to happen. Uh, I want to just high level these chapters quite a bit. Uh, tell you the story. Try to help understand... Uh, help you understand the flow of the story and what's happening and who's who. Uh, I mentioned in the overview episode this week uh, about how I think there's two major things that hold people back or, or kind of barriers to the to people in, in terms of the war chapters. And that is, number one, uh, the fewer mentions of God and Christ in these chapters. Number two, just the storyline and the back and forth and the who's who and the where and where are they. So I think that by telling the story in a little bit more clear way uh, and highlighting maybe a few different principles, I'm, my hope is that it will help you in your studies this week find more things, more principles, more doctrines that you can apply to your life. So I want to try to remove uh, the one meaning be uh, barrier being just understanding the story uh, while pointing out a few principles and doctrines of Christ so that you can see that more in hopes that now now that the one barrier is gone and I've started pointing out a few things, you'll be able to overcome the other barrier yourself uh, in your own personal studies and be able to start to, uh, seeing lessons and applying them. And maybe you already are doing that, and that's great. And again, the whole purpose of this podcast isn't to say, I know everything because I surely uh, do not. Uh, but it's just to encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey, no matter where you are on your path of studying, no matter how much you know, my hope is that I just can you, encourage you to take one one more step, right? So, uh, to begin in this chapter, these chapters, um, we get the kind of connection between Alma chapter 35 and chapter 43. And that comes really in verse 4. For behold, it came to pass that the Zoramites became Lamanites. All right. So remember, they tried to save them and reclaim them. They couldn't do it. Zoramites became Lamanites. And what did they do? Well, they basically said, hey, Lamanites, why don't you come on up in here to the land of Antionum? And so that happens in verse 5. So the Zoramites now are Lamanites. And they say, Lamanites, this land, this city and the area around about that we own of Antionum, it's yours now. So with no war, with no bloodshed, nothing happens. The Lamanites are able to move their borders north. And now the border is Antionum and Jershon. And remember where Jershon is and what Jershon is, I should say. Jershon is where the people of Ammon live, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's who've buried their weapons. They don't want to fight. So that's why it's important that in verse three, uh, verse 4, the end of verse 4, that the Nephites gathered their armies in the land of Jershon. Why did they put them there? Because that's... You know, that's a weak spot. It's a spot where there's a bunch of people who wouldn't, who don't want to fight, first of all. And it's a place where there is a bunch of people that Lamanites hate for leaving. All right. So they have Zarahemna is now appointed the leader of the Lamanites. Zarahemna was a Zoramite. You'll see this as we go uh, this week. This becomes a, a custom, a theme that the Lamanites appoint to be their chief leaders in their army. Uh, the people who had 
left the Nephites, and there's some strategic reason for that. They know their game plans, they know their playbook, they know their cities. And there's also just the fact that these people tend to hate the Nephites the most, and so they can stir up to anger the rest of the army, and they can lead them in a in an angry type of way, rile them up to go to war. Uh, and you'll see that in these chapters this week for sure. So, um, the Lamanites are, are move up into this this spot and. Mormon is careful to point out to us something uh, in verses, what is it, 13 and 14, that he says, uh, the people of Ammon did give the Nephites a large portion of their substance to support their armies. Okay. Thus the Nephites were compelled alone to withstand the Lamanites. Who? Okay, so now it's just the Nephites. Uh, but the Nephites are, uh, they had to face the Lamanites who are a combination of, the, uh, of Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael. And all those who descended from the Nephites, who are of Amalekites, the Zoramites, and the descendants of the priests of Noah, so the Amulonites. Uh, and those descendants were as numerous nearly as were the Nephites. So the people who descended from the the dissenters, descended from the dissenters, so that being the Amalekites, the Zoramites, the, the descendants of Noah, they were almost that was almost as many people as just the Nephites. That doesn't count any of the Lamanites and, and those people. So the Nephites were obliged to contend with their brethren, even unto bloodshed. They had to do it, but they, Mormon points out the significant uh, advantage that the Lamanite army has with just in sheer number, right? So uh, this makes me think of a scripture, 1 Nephi chapter 14. Here you go. I'm going to point out something we can learn. Uh, 1 Nephi chapter 14. This is Nephi, and he's having his vision of the tree of life and, and things. And it says, It came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb of God, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. But right before that, he had said, that he came to pass that I beheld the church of the Lamb of God, and its numbers were few. So it's a few numbers, but what were they armed with? with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. We, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as the, as the covenant people, we may be few. You may be live in a city where you're the only member, your families are the only, as the only members. Your kids may go to schools where you're, uh, they're the only members of the, of the church. Then our numbers may be few, but we can be armed with righteousness and with the power of God and great glory. How can we be armed with the with the power of God? Because we are the covenant people through covenants. It's through the it's through the ordinances of the Melchizedek priesthood and the covenants that we make that the power of godliness is manifest. That's how we can access that power. So whether you're eight and you've just been baptized, or you're eighty eight and you've been baptized and confirmed and uh received your endowment and been sealed, whatever whatever covenants you made in your covenant path, no matter where you are, the covenants that we make and the covenants that we keep, importantly, can give us the, that power. Uh, that's how God gives us that power, I should say. Uh, another story I wanted to uh, share in terms of, and I, I'm going to refer to this, I'm only going to read it in this episode, I'm going to refer to it probably later though. It's uh, one of my favorite stories. It comes from Second Kings, uh, in the Old Testament, chapter six, uh, and 
it's one of my favorite stories, like I said, and it's something that I think can be applied in a lot of different instances. So this is the story of when uh, the children of Israel, they're surrounded. Elisha, it's a story from Elisha. And they're surrounded by uh, the Syrians. And they, uh, let's see, verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an, an host compassed about uh, the city with the horses and chariots. And the, uh, his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he, Elisha, answered, said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open the eyes, his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw and beheld the morning. The mountain was full of horses and chariots and uh, of fire round about Elisha. So, in our life, we're going to face what looks like ridiculous odds. That there's nothing, no, no way things can work out. But when we remember our covenants, we remember that we can access the Lord's power. We remember that there are angels on the other side of the veil who are working in our favor and behalf. When we remember that the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning power is uh, is all-powerful, and we remember that he is the great deliverer, the world, the odds don't matter, and we can know that those that are with us are more than those that are against us. So, continuing chapter 43... The Lamanites come up to battle. They think this is going to be really easy. Uh, but they, when they get there, and to keep in mind, remember, they're led by Zarahemna, who was a Zoramite, who Zoramites were Nephites. So they get there. They're thinking, we know the ins and outs of this. But what happens is Moroni is prepared more than they, like, in, in a way that they, that they were unprepared for. He had armed, uh, he had armored his, his, his men so they were protected. They're more vital parts, their chests and their heads and uh, the Lamanites and, and the Zoramites. And remember the Zoramites? They were all the ones who were all about having fancy clothes and things. And they they all just show up wearing nothing but a loincloth. And so what ends up happening is even though they're severely outnumbered, it's it's going to take a lot more to, to kill a Nephite now. They're, they've been prepared. There was a, a preparation that went into this. So, uh, Moroni does some more preparation here. What does he do? He does his part. Okay, he's, he first he's prepared and he's taken action. Second, he takes and sends spies out, and he's doing he's being proactive. He's doing his part. But the next thing he does is he asks the prophet of God. He asks Alma, "What should we do?" So in our life, so again, I wanted to point out just a few things. In our life, we need to do our part. But we also need to rely on the Lord, right? So there's a scripture, and, and it, you know that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But remember that it is God that worketh in us. So even our work, we have to work it out. But even the the work is coming from God. It's Him that's working in us. So it's it's easy to think that oh, if we do this part, He does that part. That's not how it works at all. We give ourselves, and we say, "I'm willing," and then He gives us the enabling power of the atonement to drive us forward to he he's the one that works in us so even the part that we're doing is really him uh and that's where this you know the debate of works versus grace comes it gets confusing a little bit because 
Yes, there is action and work that we need to do. Absolutely. But we need to remember always that it's because of his goodness. But Moroni knew that. And so Moroni does his part and does the, the small little thing, but remembers that he needs the Lord. He remembers that it's the Lord that will guide them. And so he goes and asks Alma. So um, what ends up happening is they uh, find out where the Lamanite army is going and they separate, they being the Nephites, separate the army into two, two groups so that when the Lamanites come down into this valley, they can surround them. Okay, so that's more or less how this battle progresses. Um, the, it says the work of death was uh, commenced on both sides, but again, the Lamanites being naked, just quickly dying. Just they're, The Nephites are starting to win this pretty quickly. And it, verse 38 says, um, Now on the other hand, there was now and then a man uh, fell among the Nephites by their swords and the loss of blood being shielded uh, from the more vile parts of their body. Okay, they were shielded, they were prepared, but there was still danger. There was still harm and hurt, even to the people who were following exactly what Moroni said. But there's a war, and in war there's going to be casualties, there's going to be damage, there's going to be loss and tragedy, there's going to be injury, at the very least, and that's what's happening to the Nephites. How can we apply that to our life? In life, no matter what we do, there might there's going to be some injuries. Okay, even if we obey exactly, even if we do exactly what we were, were asked to do by our leaders, it's just a natural consequence of life. So what we need to do is make sure that we're taking time of things that matter most and slowing down in life when things get crazy, not speeding up, slowing down and taking the time to heal. Take a step back from just the craziness, craziness of the world and things and slow down. What, what do we need to do? for our fellow men. There's a talk uh, from President Eyring, uh 12 or so years ago called Man Down. He talks about, you know, we've all seen movies where there's a war and there's explosions and over the explosions you hear, man down! And they rush to save the man. Well, that man down might be your oldest scorn president. He might be your neighbor. He might be your young men's leader. He might be it might be a Relief Society president or counselor or good men and women who are sincerely trying. They've done it. They've worn it. They're wearing their armor. They're doing what they need to be doing. But they're they're hurt. And they they need to be surrounded and protected. It may be people who, are, who were taking proper precautions, per, precautions as well. But we, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, as their... Uh, as, as people who have covenanted to mourn with those that mourn, and to be with those who need help. It's our job to, when we know that there's a man down, rush to their aid, use our shield to fight off the fiery darts of the adversary, and and uplift them. Um, all right, moving on. This is dragging on a little bit. I want to keep these a little quicker, sorry. Uh, not that I want to rush, but I want to keep these bite-sized so that you can get onto your studies and really into the Book of Mormon. So... Uh, the Lamanites starting to get destroyed. Ends up, what ends up happening is they realize that they're getting destroyed. They realize now that they're, they've been surrounded. They've turned one way and there's Nephites. They turn the other way and there's Nephites. And so they start fighting and it says they fought like dragons and they start just swinging out of their minds and they're slashing open the armor now and they're, they're, they're killing the Nephites. Um, but the Nephites, 
were inspired by a better cause. Well, can you learn from that? Well, you step out that door, there's evil, there's wicked men, there's wicked women, there's just just an evil out there, right? But we can remember that we're inspired by a better cause and that as we stay close to Christ, we'll come off conqueror and we'll be guided by him. Uh, one thing I love about the Moroni's leadership is in verse 48 of chapter 43, he recognizes he recognizes that his, his men are, are getting a little... Uh, discouraged by what that the tides are starting to turn and says Moroni perceiving their intent sent forth because they were going to flee sent forth and inspired their hearts with these thoughts yea the thoughts of their lands and their liberty and their freedom their bondage he perceived it he was in tune with his with his men he was in tune with his followers uh, and he perceived their needs and then and encouraged them as leaders in the church as siblings as Parents, we need to be in tune with the Spirit and with those whom we serve so that we can perceive their needs and then encourage them. And when, as soon as Nephi, or as soon as Moroni does that, the tides turn back, and a few short verses later, the Lamanites are then again surrounded and they are discouraged and distraught and they uh, are at the mercy of Moroni. What does Moroni do? Moroni could say, All right, kill them all. No. The purpose was to just defend themselves. And so as soon as he sees that they are at a point where they can be humble, he stops and says, all right, what are we going to do? And that leads us into chapter 44. So I want to point out mercy and justice here. The Lord's hand is always outstretched. As soon as he thinks that we, we are in a place where we will be humble, when we've learned a lesson from from the, the trials that we've gone through, his hand will be outstretched and say, oh, okay, Okay, are you ready to follow me? Are you ready to learn this? Are you ready to move on and move forward? Um, and in chapter 44, I'll just move straight into it. We'll see uh, how that progresses and what Zerahemna does. Moroni testif- or addresses Zerahemna's army uh, at the beginning of chapter 44. And he's, the thing that I stands out to me is that he very openly tells the Lamanites why they have fallen into their hands. Uh, you'll see later on that Zerahemna will say, look, it's not because of what you said, it's because you you got armor. You know, Moroni says it's because our cause is just and it's because of our God. That is why. We have God on our side. And Zerahemna's like, no, it's, we don't think it's because you're God, it's just because you were wearing armor. Well, But Moroni knows, where did the idea for armor come from? Moroni is the one that prepared them. Moroni is the one that did it. He's the general. He's the in charge. He could have. He could have thought, "Yeah, you're. You know what? You're right. It's because I had a great idea." But Moroni was humble enough to realize his great idea wasn't his great idea. It came from something higher. It came from God. He was in tune with the Spirit enough to recognize and understand that ideas from the Spirit, good ideas, all things that are good, come from God. And he was willing to acknowledge that. And it takes a humble and meek, great leader to do that. In a world where it's chest thumping and look at my accolades and my all the things great that I've done and all the things that I add and all the value that I bring, we can definitely and could definitely use some more Moroni's. And I would say I could be more like Moroni. And I think we all can be more like Moroni in that regard. He tells Zarahemna, he goes through and says, all right, this is what we're going to do. First of all, you see that you're in our hands. Uh, 
You see that you're at our mercy, right? So I'm going to offer you some mercy. But there is a law attached to this mercy. You will throw down your weapons of war. And that's the purpose. That's what Moroni really, that's to end the conflict, right? But you will throw down your weapons of war. And you will covenant that you will not come to war against us again. And we want peace. That's all we want. We don't want to kill you. You see that we can right now. Right now we could kill you. But we want peace. So you throw down your weapons of war. And you covenant with us that you will not come to war against us again. And I will offer you mercy. That's the law. Zarahemna wants the benefits of the mercy without keeping the law how often do we fall in that category? How often does the world fall in that category? They want the love of God. They want the mercy of God without his law. But as we learn very beautifully in uh, fall 2009 from President Oaks, God's love and law are inextricably twined, intertwined together. His law is a way in which he shows us his love. And for us to access his mercy the fullest ex- to the fullest extent, we have to keep his law. And so Zarahemna wanted the mercy, but said, no, I'm not going to promise you that because I'll probably break that covenant. So I'm not going to do it. So Moroni says, all right, then we'll end the conflict here and now. I'll wipe you off. He basically says, yeah, I love this line. He says, behold, we'll end the conflict. But basically what he's saying is fine. You see that I had, I offered you mercy, but now you will have instead justice. And we will kill you now so that you can't come to battle against us later. Zerhemna doesn't like that very much. Starts charging, charging Moroni. Moroni's soldier swipes off the scalp of Zerhemna and holds it up on his sword and says, "Just like this fell, the scalp of your of your leader, so too will you all fall." And a bunch of the of the uh, Lamanites see that and are like, uh, "I don't, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that." So they throw down their weapons and make a covenant. But then there was a bunch of others that didn't. And Zerhemna, missing his scalp and all is still so stubborn and kicks against the pricks. Keep up, remember the situation that's here. Now, a bunch of their army has withdrawn, covenanted, thrown down their weapons and covenanted not to fight, and they've gone into the wilderness. They've left. So now their army is even smaller, but they're surrounded in a complete circle here. And there's a river, and there's not an easy, there's no path out for the Lamanites. And yet, Zarahemna still fights against it. And the... And it says, Behold, the naked skins and their bare heads are exposed the sharp, to the sharp swords of the Nephites. They are pierced and smitten that fall exceedingly fast. It wasn't like, I mean, needless suffering. But how many times do we do that? How many times do we kick against the pricks and we cause needless suffering? It reminds me of uh, Nephi and his family in the, in the wilderness when they would go against what the Liahona was saying. And so they were stuck in the wilderness longer than they needed to be. And how long do we prolong our wilderness, our wildernesses? And eventually, though, Zerahemna sees that there's no escape. And finally, it shouts out and says, stop, stop, stop. Moroni could have just continued. He'd offered him peace. He'd offered him mercy and he denied it. And a spiteful, vengeant man, full of vengeance, I should say, would have just continued the work of death. But that's not who Moroni was. It's not who Christ is. When we plead for that mercy, the hand of the Lord is always outstretched, and so too is Moroni's. And they took the deal and covenanted with them with peace and let them go. And that's how, essentially, this this first war section and chapters end.
Um, final note that I want to share is what protective armor do we have today? This comes from Harold B. Lee. He said, we have the four parts of the body that the Apostle Paul said or saw to be most vulnerable. The loins, typifying virtue, chastity, uh, typifying virtue and chastity, the heart typifying our conduct, our feet, our goals, or our objectives in life, and our head, our thoughts. We should have our loins girded about with truth. What is truth? The Lord said, we, we was, okay. the Lord said, was knowledge of things as they are, things as they were, and things as they are to come. Our loins shall be girded about with truth. And the heart, what kind of breastplate shall protect our, our conduct in life? We shall have our hearts a breastplate of righteousness. While having learned the truth, we uh, have a measure by which we can judge between right and wrong. So our conduct will always be gauged by that thing which we know to be true. Our breastplate to cover our conduct shall be the breastplate of righteousness. By what shall we protect our feet, or what should? Uh, how should we gauge our goals and objectives? Your feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then finally, the helmet of salvation. What is the? What is salvation? Salvation is to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death and saved from sin. Well, now the apostle Paul had armored the man in holding a shield, and in the other hand a sword. With uh, which were the weapons of those days. That shield was the shield of faith, and the sword was the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I can't think of anything more powerful, any more powerful weapons than faith and knowledge of the Scriptures in the which are contained the Word of God. One so armored and one so prepared with those weapons is prepared, is prepared to go out against the enemy. And in multiple places we learn that if we have the shield of faith, it will quench all the fiery darts of the adversary. And we need to take, as Paul said, the armor of God, Wear it just like Moroni had his his army uh, prepared. Uh, But knowing that we can still be injured, knowing that there are times when we need to slow down and we can protect each other and we can help each other. Uh, But in the end, uh, if we we do that and we wear those, that armor that the Lord will protect us and guide us through to victory, just as he did with Moroni's army. Um, So lots of things to learn from these chapters. I could have actually gone on a lot longer. I love these chapters. Uh, but just, I hope that this, this helps you in this week's study. Uh, and I will continue this type of thing moving on. The next section we'll cover is chapter 45 and 46. I hope you'll join me in that episode as well as the other episodes this week.